Hi, I'm Sergio. And I'm Alex. And this is the IPHO Podcast. Each episode, we'll be hosting professionals with diverse backgrounds from across the industry. We have two goals, to bring you timely, relevant insights from across the healthcare landscape and information that can help support your professional growth. What non-traditional career opportunities exist for pharmacists, and how can I stand out from other candidates? How is COVID impacting the way we develop medications and support patients? What social inequalities exist within the biopharmaceutical industry, and what are companies doing about it? So whether you're a pharmacy student interested in learning more about fellowships or in pursuing a direct career in industry, a current or former fellow trying to figure out your next step, or just interested in a distraction from your workout, we've got you covered. And remember, the views and opinions we and our guests express on this show are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Well, very good. Thanks, everybody, for joining this episode of the IPHO podcast. I'm joined by one of the three Tims behind yourfinancialpharmacist.com. It's Tim Ulbrich, um, one of the co-founders of Your Financial Pharmacist and co-author of Seven Figure Pharmacist. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks for having me. Re- really excited and grateful for the opportunity. Well, maybe we start first with um, the pharmacy side of things. So where'd you do your PharmD? Um, what'd you do after you got your PharmD? And then how did you find your way to starting your financial pharmacist? Yeah, so, sort of a zigzag journey along the way. So I, I wandered into pharmacy school, uh, went to Ohio Northern University in uh, the booming metropolis of Ada, Ohio. Graduated in 2008. It was a direct entry 06 program out of high school. Grew up in, in Buffalo. Um, guidance counselor said, hey, you like science and math. Maybe you should think about pharmacy. And I wish I had a better story, but that really was about the extent of it. Um, and left pharmacy school and, and was really conflicted about where do I go from here? Didn't really see myself in a traditional pharmacy role. Thought I might be, be doing some hospital admin work. Fell in love with ambulatory care and decided I would do a, a residency uh, partly because I really wasn't sure what the next phase and step would look like. In that residency I did, did at Ohio State, I had a big teaching component, fell in love with academia, teaching, didn't really think about that as a career path. And from there, launched into an academic career for about 12 years uh, before most recently I left Ohio State uh, to do the work on the business uh, full time. And so I, I, I spent a few years in a shared faculty role, spent part of my time practicing, part of my time teaching spent several years in a, a academic administrative role overseeing student affairs and, and admissions and then i uh, worked on a master's program uh, around health system pharmacy administration at ohio state did the whole teaching faculty thing and toward the second half of that academic career uh, around 2015 i just finished my wife and i paying off a couple hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt uh, which is unfortunately all too normal uh, these days for pharmacists and really felt like the journey was harder than it needed to be. Uh, and really felt like there was a gap in a community of pharmacists that were out there that were engaging and talking about this topic. And so as I started to talk with more pharmacists about my own journey, I kept hearing the same things over and over again. It was almost like I just needed to ask the question. I kept hearing things like, hey, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with my student loans. I, I didn't know what to do with you know, how to approach these loans. I, I feel like I need to save and invest for the future, but, you know, I don't know what all these retirement accounts and, and how do I set up my investing plan? And, and one of the common things I would hear is, hey, Tim, I make a great income and I thought this whole six-figure income thing would be amazing, but life's just expensive and it's not everything I thought it would be. 
And so I really saw an opportunity to build a community. And I started a, a blog in 2015 that evolved to a podcast and a book and did some speaking. And it kind of took up a life of its own over, over several years and eventually paired that up with one-on-one -on -one comprehensive financial planning. So I have a team of certified financial planners that work with me. We work with about 280 households across the country doing one-on-one -on -one planning and really saw an opportunity to help people all the way from, hey, I want to listen to a podcast, read a blog, interact with a calculator, to I really want some intensive one-on-one -on -one help. But that journey from idea to actually working full-time on the business was about five years. And so I, I kind of started it as a hobby, grew it as a side hustle, and then, and then eventually turned it into a business. And it, it really was happening in tandem as I was growing my, my academic career. And that makes a lot of sense because some of the best businesses are started. You find, you see an opportunity, you build it from the ground up. Uh, you simultaneously work your, you know, your, your nest egg, which is that mm -hmm. full-time job and then build it into what it, until it, what it becomes is your, your dream. And, um, you know, as you think about living this next step of your career, I start to think about, you were in academia for 12 years. Perhaps you could share what is it that you may miss about academia and how do you kind of scratch that itch with your current, uh, your current company and what you do? That's a really good question. I do a lot of interviews and I, I don't know if I've been asked that question specifically. And, and I think one of the things I, I miss or I thought I would miss, but I'm able to do a lot of that work now is really that career development interaction with, with at the time with students, but really I enjoy working with pharmacists all, all throughout their careers. And I, I really feel like I uh, do well in scenarios where I can meet with folks, help them maybe see a possibility, an opportunity that they can't yet see, or, or perhaps need some guidance and help in how to get there and really encourage them, challenge them and keep them accountable in that journey. And so when I was in academia, I did that in an academic role, right? I would, I would help students with career development. I would be talking about the next phase of the career. Well, now I'm doing that. It's just in a very different aspect as it relates to one's financial journey. And what gets me so excited about the work that we're doing is I hear from pharmacists every single week that say, you know, I, I would like to do this. And that I would like to could be that, you know, I would like to at some point be able to retire confidently. Sometimes that I would like to is I would like to start a business or I'd like to try to do something or I'd like to, you know, uh, have, have my spouse or significant other be able to work part time because we're growing our family. And so I hear all these goals, dreams, desires and wishes. But quickly following that is that those aren't a possibility in their eyes because of the financial stress that they are going through. And that can be student loans. That could be that they feel like they're behind on retirement. You know, that could be a variety of different things. And so. The work that we're doing, in my opinion, is if we can transform the financial wellness for individuals and for families, they can pursue those goals, those dreams, those passions with the confidence that it deserves. And, you know, that still gets me jacked up. I'll, I'll periodically get an email from folks that say, hey, I listened to this podcast and I did this. And like, even after getting hundreds, you know, maybe thousands of those emails at this point, like I never take any one of those for granted that somebody listens to something you put out, like you guys are putting out this podcast now, and they take action that eventually sets them in a new direction that is transformational. What a gift and an opportunity to be able to engage with people in that way. And so I really feel like I'm teaching, but I'm teaching in a very different way. And so my job is to take a topic like personal finance, and it's a topic that 
I'm not talking about anything new. There's been books written about this topic for decades or centuries and finding a way to be able to present it in a way that is easy to understand, to digest, and that is ultimately applicable. And that's what we do with students in the classroom. So I, I really have seen a lot more synergy than I had anticipated uh, when I made that transition, but, but there certainly is a lot of it there. Well, and you um, went to pharmacy school, of course. Um, and so what I'm curious about is, um, did you have a mentor in your life um, who helped teach you about um, you know, personal financial advice and how to approach investing and things like that. So how did, how did you come to learn the financial side of things um, and, and build that confidence to, to then go out and, and help others? Yeah, you know, I had a lot of great mentors, but I think this is true for many folks in pharmacy where finance, although changing, is still somewhat of a taboo topic. Nobody ever talked about money. Nobody ever talked about, you know, strategy around, you know, financial planning, what you could do as a student, what you could do as you transition into new practitioner life. So I had no guidance or mentorship around the financial piece outside of, you know, kind of that stock education from, you know, financial aid and, and so forth. It really was, to be frank, you know, the, the school of hard knocks. Um, you know, I remember getting to certain points in my journey. One, one I'll never forget is 2012. So four years after graduation, I had been making uh, minimum but very large uh, payments on our student loans. And I had this nagging feeling of like, what, what the heck? Like we're making big payments, but this is not moving very substantially. And, and the reason is, well, when you have $200,000 of debt, it's almost 7% interest. Like you look at an amortization schedule and it's pretty obvious why that's happening, right? I didn't know what an amortization schedule was. I didn't understand compound interest, you know, all those things. So part of that was just learning as, as I go throughout and feeling like, man, I'm making a great income. I have made a great income for a few years. Like it shouldn't be this hard and we shouldn't feel like we're spinning our wheels. And one pivotal moment in 2012 is as I really started to catch fire with reading lots of books, listening to podcasts. And I read The Millionaire Next Door by Dr. Tom Stanley, which is you know probably a top five, 10 personal finance book. And he, he does a lot of research on the behaviors and habits of those that have achieved millionaire or decamillionaire status. And it's everything counter to what you would think a, a millionaire would be doing or what our society says a millionaire is doing or spending on, on money. And the one concept from that book that changed my trajectory was he talked about the difference between income and net worth, income and net worth, which is so obvious for, for us that have been living this. But in the moment, it was like, that's it. I'm making a great income, but that income is not translating to actually growing our net worth. And I remember thinking, you know, a few years in, like we've made several hundred thousand dollars, but we have a negative net worth. Well, why is this? Well, it's because we're not growing our assets and we're not paying down our debts. And that's what net worth is, is assets minus liabilities. So that was the shift for us to say, we've got to reframe what success looks like. Income is a tool but our ability to put that income to work, to transform it into the net worth growing in the right direction, that is what is going to be financial success. And so that really propelled us to, you know, reading and working together and doing a whole lot of things in our own journey. But it was that specific moment that was, that was so critical. Well, you've mentioned reading a couple of times now, and you did mention one book. I'm curious if you had to give a top three, you know, for folks who are interested in learning about personal finance, what would be your, your reading recommendations in addition to your own book, Seven Figure Pharmacist? Yeah. So I mentioned one, uh, you know, Millionaire Next Door, and there's actually a revised version called The Next Millionaire Next Door that Tom Stanley passed away, but his daughter 
took that work and, and continued it. Sarah Stanley Falaw is her name. Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, top of my list. Uh, you know, I think if you talk to enough people in this industry or are doing investing, they'll, they'll talk about how transformational Rich Dad, Poor Dad is. Less on the technical aspect of what to do with your money, more on the mindset of how you approach your, your money and the philosophy and the strategy. So that would be top of my list. That's by Robert Kiyosaki. I probably would put number three, Money Master of the Game by Tony Robbins. And, you know, I remember seeing that book come out and I'm like, since when is Tony Robbins a financial expert and guru? Uh, and whether he wrote the book or, you know, somebody goes wrote it, it's really well done. And I think it, it does a nice job of kind of a deeper dive into the financial services industry, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and also into some of the asset allocations for those that are more interested in understanding more about the investing side of the financial plan. Pretty dense uh, book, but, it, but it's a really good read. So th those would be the three that, that come to mind. Yeah, we're always looking for something that you can consume on your own process and then have a conversation. We talk about mentors, uh, building your board of directors. Uh, I, I don't think that I have those types of conversations with my board of directors. For me, I always think about the balance sheet. It becomes as simple as the ins and the outs. You talk about income, working your way down a balance sheet to your profit or net income, whatever that may be. And it's ins and outs within a corporation. It's not that different. As I, That's my own you know, small, limited understanding. Um, but as you... As you think about all of the pharmacists, it's graduation season. It, we just a lot of pharmacists just graduated in May. It's the end of fellowship for uh, a number of fellows as they start to transform what their lives may look like from a financial perspective. Maybe what's what's one or two um, actionable uh, pieces of advice you may be able to provide to them as they start to consider building their net worth, paying down their debt. Um, I think that uh, our listeners could benefit from that. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put a caveat to my response that we're we're in a unique time period, right? A volatility in the market, high inflationary period. So easier said than done. But you know, the the key to personal finance at the end of the day is is you live off of less than you make, so you can put your money to work for you long term. That really is the foundation cash flow that you have available to grow your assets and pay down your debts, right? That's what we need to be focused on. And I think one of the common mistakes that I made that many pharmacists make is there's somewhat of an illusion around that six-figure income, uh, which is great, but we need to remember, and, and perhaps this audience is the exception of the rule, that for many folks, there, there isn't a significant upward trajectory in that income you know, over the course of one, one's career. And I think this group is unique in that there is more upward mobility you guys have more unique benefit plans around, you know, stock units and other things that provide some other upside that isn't traditional to the industry. But, you know, we need to be able to have cash flow available so that when inflation happens, so that when the housing market goes through the roof, we're able to still aggressively invest and save for the future and be able to move forward, you know, the financial plan. And to that point, one of the things that scares me right now, I was sharing this with Sergio before we hit record is that we are now three graduating classes of students that have not had to make a student loan payment on the federal side. So remember back, start of the pandemic, March 2020, CARES Act was passed, federal administrative forbearance put in place, extended by the Trump administration, extent, since extended by the Biden administration through now the end of August, perhaps even you know we'll see some further extensions after that. So for many pharmacists, if we use the average, about 170 for the class of 2021, 
uh, you know, if we pay that off over a 10 year period, we're looking at an $1,800 ish monthly payment to pay that off over, over a 10 year period. Um, and so if that has not been there and now that's going to be there in the future, have we been planning for that or because of inflation, because of the housing market, because of just life's expensive, have our expenses crept up and that's going to be a significant adjustment that we're going to have to be able to address here in the near future. So that worries me a little bit, especially if we pair that with the housing market. And I think many new grads eager to buy a home. You know, one of the challenges for anyone buying a home is we want to make sure we're not house poor, where we've got so much of our take home pay going to our mortgage payment. Easier said than done, especially for fellows that live in higher cost of living areas, right? Uh, typically where, where the markets are up on top of what we're seeing in, in this market. But what can we do to be able to, to, to lower those expenses as much as we can to make sure we're ready and, and to also have a strategy in place around these loans? If we're talking about some of the new grads or the fellows that are about to come up, student loan repayment is one of the most overlooked strategies of, of folks that we work with. There are lots of different ways to approach them from, you know, you aggressively pay them down big monthly payments to you ride them out 20 to 25 years and you look at forgiveness over a long period of time. And a lot of options in between, including refinancing them with a private lender, which in the moment doesn't make sense, right? No better deal than 0%. So a lot of folks tend to walk into student loan repayment without making an intentional choice. And this can easily be the difference of tens of thousands, some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars of a decision that it's worth spending the time to really understand all these options that are out there. You talked about the six figure income and, and it brings me back to when I was in pharmacy school, I remember an administrator saying, what are you going to do with your six figure income? And me being me, I, I sat down and I built out what six figures, just an even hundred minus taxes minus health insurance. And I put 500 a month minus, uh, you know, retirement, you know, it was, I think it was 18, 18, 18, five max in your 401k at the time. And I got to this number and I went, well, six figures sounds great, but it doesn't end up as six figures. And it was a good, it was, it was one of those eye opening experiences for me. And I don't know what made me do it, but it, it opened my eyes to what a, what, you know, what it means to be financially, um, sound and, and responsible. Well, and Tim talked about, um, you know, the cost of living for some of these fellows, you know, like you can go through this calculation, you take an income and start making some assumptions and things like that. Um, but the assumptions have been changing radically over the past couple of years with rents and mortgage payments and things like that, that have, that have increased significantly. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I think we've seen, you know, perhaps uniquely in the pharmaceutical industry is an increased flexibility to allow people to work from home yeah. um, as one factor. And then also many folks who began positions during the pandemic who may have you know, not relocated at the time are being allowed to remain you know, in, at their homes and you know, working from home, which may in fact be in areas of the country with significantly lower cost of living. Um, and so curious, to get your perspective um, and what you're seeing with your clients around geographic mobility and how that can be a factor in um, living below your means, living, you know, reducing your total monthly expenditures. It's huge. And it goes back to, you know, what Alex was sharing there. Like we've got to break the illusion that six figure income equals financial success. If we can 
it, it can, but it's not a guarantee, right? If we can break that mindset or, or establish a new mindset, we can start to, to, to move forward with a plan, you know, and I think the calculations Alex just shared are, are spot on. Like we need to reframe what does this income actually mean after taxes, you know, after home. And as you guys know, with young kids, like later on young kids in a family, like there goes your budget, right? Love them, but that's the reality. Daycare is not free. Yeah. Preschool is not free. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the mobility to me is really interesting. I think Tim Ferriss calls this geohacking, right? If I remember right in his book, uh, The 4-Hour Work Week. And I think this is coming to life. You know, the reality is even as I'm talking to you guys in Columbus, Ohio, which is a pretty hot real estate market, it, it ain't the Northeast, no matter what you do. So, you know, I would tell you guys that still here in Columbus, you could buy a really nice 2,500 square foot home within 10 miles of the city, you know, 15 minute lesser commute. Uh, that's a, a really nice home. And you're going to be able to buy that probably under, you know, what was 300, probably now under 400. You're not getting that in that close proximity in the Northeast, right? So even in this market, and I would say if, if you're able to go out 30 minutes and you start to get out to some more rural areas, like you can get a really nice house, really nice property. So if mobility is in play, absolutely, it's a game changer because what we know in pharmacy, you know, beyond obviously just, just the pharmaceutical industry is that pharmacist salaries do not correlate with cost of living. They just don't adjust accordingly. So if you take a, I'll use an example of, you know, it could be a faculty member, ambulatory care, whatever, pharmacist here in Columbus, Ohio, and they move out to San Diego, they might make 10,000, 15,000, maybe 20,000 more. But the cost of living is a whole lot more than that differential, right? So, Tim, could you say that a little louder in case the people in the back can't hear you? <laughs> so I, I think it just is, it, it's such an important factor of like, if we're willing to or able to move, and I actually talk and, and challenge some, you know, graduates, if they're able to have this mobility, yes, I know we'd love to live, you know, in our hometown, we'd love to live by family, but could we for a moment, like short-term sacrifice, three to five years, head down, accelerate our financial plan, and then we make that transition later. But that first three to five year transition, that is the foundation of what you're going to set for that next 10 to 20 years of the financial plan. That, that's going to be the momentum that you do or don't have. So if that's an option for folks, heck yeah, come to Ohio, right? Low cost of living, you know, work, work, work the job uh, remotely if you're able to do that. Um, and, and I think that's going to be a big game changer for folks as it relates to the financial plan. And it's so important for people to hear that now, this time of year, when they're beginning fellowships, they're graduating pharmacy school, they're graduating fellowships and transitioning to full-time employment. This, these are the times when you can make decisions like that. Um, you know, it can be very stressful not knowing what comes next. And, you know, when you're going through the process of applying to positions and things like that, but um, you know, perhaps this is the opportunity for folks to, to use as that inflection point to say, you know, maybe now's the time to move. Um, you know, maybe this is an important factor for us, you know, is whether a company will allow us to, to work from home or work remotely or do two days a week in the office, which can alleviate childcare, you know, mm -hmm. costs and defer things like that. Um, you know, so I, I'm glad that we're having this discussion now um, because it's a natural transition point in the year. And, and as you, as you think about planning, you're talking about financial planning, um, perhaps, you know, something that maybe it's just me and it's coming, from, maybe this is a selfish question coming from me as you think about, um, people who are listening, who have kids and planning for their children from a college fund perspective, 
um, some strategies for helping to bolster that as well as things like, you know, that you might not think about like a living will. Um, I don't know if that's something you work with. I'll tell, I'll tell everyone here. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, in the process, I actually, while we're talking, I got a message from a lawyer I'm working with to set up a living will because I want something, I want my kids, if something happens to my wife and myself, God forbid, we want to yeah. make sure that they're taken care of. This is great. I'm so glad you brought this up because, you know, one of the things that gets overlooked in, in the financial planning industry where there's, you know, comes in every flavor of what they offer, who offers it, how they charge, is that it's very focused historically around investments. That's often how firms make make money. That's where you know things started in a, in a broker model. And investments are an important part of the financial plan. Don't, don't get me wrong, but they are one part of the financial plan. And one of the things I really like is the CFP board, Certified Financial Planning Board, which is probably the most widely adopted credential for comprehensive nature of planning, looks at seven different parts of the financial plan. So yes, there's investments, there's cash flow and budgeting, there's debt, debt repayment. Uh, there's insurance, there's estate planning, which is what you're talking about with the living will. And all of these things need to be coming together. And we can't look at any one of these in a silo. So if anyone's listening and they have young children, yeah, we've got to have this basic estate planning in, in, in place. And that might evolve and change over time as your assets grow and your situation changes. Really important part of the financial plan. I think we overlook that because of some of the gorillas in the room, like student loans, you know, like investing or those topics, you know, we talk more about like home buying. When it comes to kids college, you know, this is a sensitive topic for pharmacists and I'm speaking firsthand. I've got four young boys at home and what I have felt personally and what I see with a lot of the folks that we work with in our community is there tends to be an overreaction for kids college based on our own personal experiences. And what I mean by that is, is the intent is good I want to save for my kids' college. I don't want them to go through what I just went through and accruing a couple hundred thousand dollars of debt. Guilty. But it, <laughs> but it may not be in the right order or the right priority. So we've all probably heard before that, you know, you can you can borrow for your kids' college, you can't borrow for your retirement, right? So, you know, making sure we have a good individual retirement plan in place. Um, also, we, we see this a lot where we might not be taking advantage of some, some, some foundational things like, you know, 401ks, 403bs, uh, IRAs, HSAs. So are we prioritizing kids' college in the right order? And are we doing it with a plan in place? And I think what makes this so hard, and it's top of mind for me with my boys, is what is college going to cost in 10 or 15 years? Number one, who knows where higher education is going? Number two, what does that pathway look for our children, right? That could, you know, we're seeing a growth in, in trade schools and community colleges, uh, is it more expensive on the private side? Are they going to go to graduate school or they're not going to go? So we need to start with some framework of planning. And we like to use the third, a third, a third rule. So if, if we say, okay, my son, Sam, you know, our budget for him for college is we want to be able to save $100,000 per child. I'm just making up numbers. So let's say $400,000 total across our four kids. That's our commitment knowing that something like a 529 plan i can transfer between children so if one doesn't go you know i can i can move it to another so a third a third a third really is about you know a third of it you're going to look at being able to fund in something like a a 529 plan a third of it you're going to be looking at things like scholarships and, and grants and then a third of it you're either going to cash flow when you get to that phase or perhaps even that might be the position where we're taking on a little bit of student loan debt so again is that perfect no, there's a lot of variables that are going to change between now and then, but it helps kind of move it from that emotional phase to like, okay, what's the target? You know, what's the amount? How do we get there? 
And then what's the strategy to be able to save it and accrue it in a certain account so that we're prepared for that day in the future? Uh, a lot of really salient advice there, as well as some acronym soup for people who don't know HSA 529. Sorry, yeah, I'm doing that. But, but I think that's important. There's a lot yeah. that we don't know. And uh, you can do your own research, you can figure it out. But uh, I, I think that at times, sometimes just turning to someone, having a sound uh, individual to bounce that thought process off of is really important. Um, so I want to I want to be cognizant of time here. We're hitting our, our known attrition point. And, um, you know, I, I, as we were preparing for this episode, we figured out that Tim and I are both from Buffalo, him, a Lancaster legend, myself an Amherst tiger. And, uh, you know, I, I just have to go ahead and assume that he knows the answer to this question, but who, who's going to win the Super Bowl in 2023? Favored right now, favored right now. Um, Buffalo bills. I can't wait. And, uh, you know, I'm already planning, which is a, probably a curse on the city, um, you know, my, my boys were, were jacked up. I, I had such good composure emotionally throughout all of last season until we got to that game, you know, in, in Kansas city. And like my boys, they saw a version of me that I am not proud of. I am <laughs> not proud of who I was in that moment, but like, man, I love, I love the city of Buffalo. I love, uh, the, the team, the people, I love what, Josh Allen's doing, and uh, I was just back there a couple weeks ago, so I'm I'm jacked up. But let's go Bills. This sounds like another podcast that we're going to have to <laughs> to schedule for uh, for a date in the future. Sports sports talk, sports finance. That's right. Well, well, listen, um, Tim, thanks so much hopping on. It's I know it's getting late at night on this end. I think you might be an hour behind, but I could be wrong too. I don't know. Ohio time zones, but, uh, really appreciate you coming on and, um, anything, if there's anything you want to add before we, we go, please feel free to take a moment. Yeah. Just say a note of congratulation for, you know, any of the fellows that are ready to make this transition. If there's any, you know, graduates listening as well, but just to reiterate such, such a critical point of time opportunity wise. And I, I think this time can be stressful in transition financially, but this also can be a time of opportunity to set a really strong foundation. So invest in, you know, learning and understanding. We talked about some of the books, have some conversations with your coworkers and, and just really get a quick start, you know, would be my, my word of encouragement. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Tim. Take care. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for this episode. We appreciate you spending your time with us. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and give us a rating. You can also visit us on the IPHO website to provide feedback and learn how to get involved. Please do it because we need your help. Until next time, take care and stay safe.